Welcome to the Experience Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Kyle Brownlee. It's our prayer that this message is not only an encouragement, but a blessing to your life. Well, I want to welcome everyone today, whether you're joining us here in person or you're watching on Line, honored to have you with us today, believing that God would do what only he can do in all of our hearts and all of our lives. Also want to give a special shout out to all the men and women joining us in our correctional ministry throughout our country, even in the country of Belize. We love you. We count it an honor and privilege to have you a part of our church. So come on, D-Town. Help me welcome our church family today. Come on, let them know. So good. Well, happy 4th of July weekend to everyone as we are celebrating and we're remembering the Declaration of Independence as a country when we declared that we were no longer under the British rule. Come on, somebody. That we are our own. We're going to drive on the other side of the road. We're going to put the steering wheel on the other side of the road because we're American. That's what we do. We do our own thing. And, and so we declared our independence and that we were, in essence, free. And so I do want to encourage us as we're celebrating all the freedoms that we have in this amazing country that we get to live in. How many know there's a lot of freedoms we take for granted? Anybody besides me? And so we want to pause, not just this weekend, but just to recognize and remember, man, we have a lot to be thankful for. There's a lot of freedoms that we don't even have to think about. We just kind of take for granted. But as we're celebrating and and just kind of remembering those freedoms. I do want to encourage us to not maybe fall into the trap of thinking that that freedom is the ability to do what we want, when we want, how we want, or with who we want. Because how many of us know a lot of us tried that and we paid a high price for living like that. It didn't bring freedom into our lives. It brought pain and misery and regret and shame and actually didn't bring freedom. It actually kept us from having the lives that we wanted to have. That the reality is that real freedom is the ability to choose to live the right way so that we can have the lives that we want. How many of there's power and choice? The power of, of choices are critical to the freedom that we may or may not be experiencing in our lives because the choices that we make today will determine the lives that we live tomorrow. Come on, somebody. So uh, now that has nothing to do with my message at all today, uh, but I'm grateful we live in this amazing country called the U.S. of A. And if you would just join me now in singing Born in the USA, that would be awesome. Bruce is going to come. I'm just joking, but... Um, Man, what an awesome country we live in. But with that said, we are starting a brand new sermon series today called Sizzlin' Summer. And I just love the title of this series because it reminds me of bacon. Come on, somebody. And we all know bacon, man, bacon makes everything better, doesn't it? Bacon makes eggs better. Bacon makes pizza better. You could even put bacon on a salad and I'll eat it. I'll eat that, Greg, just because I want the bacon. Come on, somebody. Bacon makes a cheeseburger better. Bacon makes everything better. And in kind of sort of way that 
that's kind of the thought behind this series, not from a bacon standpoint, but from the fact that we're going to be talking about some things to help us make our summer better. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about being intentional about investing in what really matters in life, because how many of us know when we realize what matters in life, well, we realize, when we realize what matters most in life, we can live a life that ma- matters most. And with all that said, uh, the title of the message, we're just going to get right into it. The title of the message today is in the form of a question, and, and it's something I want you to ponder and think through and really really kind of just grapple with what your answer would be. And, and the title of the message today is, What Do You Want? What do you want? What do you really want? Go ahead and help me preach a little bit today. Look at your neighbor and just ask them that question. What do you want? What do you want? Someone said uh, last service, I want bacon. I'm like, touche, man, I get that, yeah. So do I, so do I. But uh, it was my fault. What do, you, what do you want? Have you ever been in a situation where you just couldn't decide what you wanted? As a parent, I feel like I, I deal with this a lot with my kids, especially, we, especially when we go like, to the store. It never fails. They will all ask me, hey, can I pick out something? Can I get something? And in those really weak moments of life when the kids have just worn me down and I have no energy left to, to fight anymore, I'll say yes, but then I'll follow that up with yes, but hurry. Yes, because I know what's going to happen. You're going to get to the toy aisle. You're going to get over to the hunting section. You're going to go over to the clothes, and you're going to take the next hour and a half to try and figure out what you want because you don't know what you even want. And then when you do finally pick out something, come on, parents, you pick out the most expensive toy, the most expensive thing you can possibly find. So when it ends up happening, now I have to say, no, put that back. We're not getting the $45,000 remote control car. No, $5 is all you got. And then I, now I'm going on the whole journey of trying to help them decide and pick out what they want. And so it's just a never ending battle, but, or maybe some of us, we go out to eat and we look at the menu. And after looking at the few pages of, of items to choose from, we just cannot decide. And then the server comes over. And even though we know we're next, it's coming around. We've been, we've done this before. Like this is not our first rodeo. We know they're going to ask us. We still are unprepared. You ever gone out to eat with that guy? And you're like, dude, you didn't know that they were coming. You have no idea. You, sir, would you stand up and just wave at the crowd? And they get there, and so then you, what, what do you do? You, 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 you buy some time. That's what you do. You're buying time, and you ask the server, well, what do you recommend, right? Which is a heck of a lot of pressure to put on a complete stranger what they would recommend for you to eat. I would suggest it puts the server in an unfair position because you're going to base how much the tip is going to be on whether or not this person can hopefully find a needle in the haystack and tell you something that you're going to like. You just don't know what you want. Now, some of us might say, I don't deal with any of those things because when we go to the store with our kids, my kids don't, don't even ask me. Don't even talk in the store. Don't even ask me for anything. They just know better. They get nothing or or when you go to the restaurant, you're that guy that just gets the same thing every single, come on, where are my people at? Where are my people that just, yeah, I get the same thing every time. Come on, you are my 
people, right? I don't care I, I, if it's got meat and potatoes, we are good. In fact, I'll do a double. My signature move, whenever you go out to eat with me, my signature move, and you can use this, fellas, whenever you want, I'll order the meal and then I'll ask the server, hey, can you add a uh, chicken breast on the side of the meal? Like it would never fails. I'll take whatever this meal is and add a chicken breast. Come on, somebody. That's just the signature move, but... Um, but, but I just, I'll go, to the, I'll go to the restaurant, man, and Justina, my wife, she'll tr- she likes to try something new. It never fails. She's, she hates it. She doesn't like it. She eats half of it. It's like, I don't even like this. She's complaining. I'm over there. It's the 75th time that I've had this meal, and I am digging it. I'm loving it. I love it the 75th time just as much as I did the first time. And no, you can't have none, right? I just knew I was going to like it. That's why I got it the 75th time. I'm not disappointed, Right? But when it comes to this question, what do we want in regards to our lives, what would our answer be? What do you want? Now, most of us would probably respond to that question with a question like, what do you, what do you mean? What do I want? What do you want? You mean for my kids? No, no. What do you want? You mean for like my career? No, what do you Want. What do you want? Relationally, spiritually, no, what do you want? For my life, yes. What do you want from life? Because one of the most important things that we can ever determine in our life is what we want. More than what we want to do, more than who we want to become, is what do we want? And the truth is, All of us want something, whether we will own up to that thing that we want or not. That's a completely other sermon series. But what do we what do we want? I think this is an an interesting question for us to ask, especially as we are in the, the heart of summer. And I don't know about you. It seems like every summer I fool myself into believing that this summer I'm going to take it easy. This summer, I'm going to relax. I'm going to, man, I'm going to grill out. I'm going to put my feet up. I'm going to take it easy and just enjoy the weather, enjoy the summer. And it never fails. Man, I just, my schedule gets so packed full. I get so busy every single summer from travel baseball to all these different things that are happening. And I find myself going from one thing to another. And then family vacations coming up. And I got to hurry up and get all these things done before we go on family vacation. Then we go on vacation. There's all these things we have to do on vacation. We've never been here before. We're never going to come probably back here again. We got to make sure we get all these things done and we get back from family vacation. Now I need another vacation from the vacation and I got more, but I got more stuff to do. And I just find myself going from one thing to another. And as a parent, I get to August. I'm like, when does, when does school, when does school start back up so I can ship these kids back get rid of, I mean, bless them. I want them in education and all that, but I just need a break. I just need a break, you know, send them back to school so I can just take a break. I need a vacation from summer that I was going to relax in, but I didn't. And all of a sudden we're doing all these things and we've never really even identified what we're going after. Like, why are we doing what we're doing? What do we, what do we want? I'll take a look at a, at an encounter in the Bible between when God appeared to King Solomon in a dream. 
Now, King Solomon has just taken over kingship over the nation of Israel. He's just taken over for his, his father, David, and so he is fresh on the scene. He's got a lot, a lot of responsibility. I mean, he's new to it all, and he has this encounter with, with God. Let's take a look at it. First Kings chapter 3. Verse five, there's a couple places this same story is referenced. It's also in the book of Chronicles as well, but here it is, verse five, 1 Kings 3, it says, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, what do you want? He asked Solomon this question. What do you want, Solomon? Like, what do you want? Ask and I will, I'll give it to you. Can you, can you imagine the creator of the universe appearing to you in a dream and he asks you one question, what do you want? Now, how many know this isn't no ordinary dream? This, you know, Solomon's not thinking, man, was that, the, was that the Chinese food I ate last night before I went to bed? How many of us know when God shows up in your life, you know it? In fact, if you read verse 16, the Bible tells us in chapter three of 1 Kings that when Solomon awoke, he realized it was a dream because that's how real it was. That's how he knew, it was new. He knew that he had just encountered the creator of the universe, that God himself had appeared to him and asked them this question. And what would our response be to that question? What would our answer be? What do you want? This is a, a powerful question because what we want will determine how we live. And so as we kind of unpack this idea, what I want to do today in our brief two and a half hours of time that we are together, uh, I want to introduce us to what I call the four levels of living. And what I want to do is kind of take us through what I think is we're born with, uh, when we're born, there's a level that we, we live at when we're, we're young, but then as we kind of grow and as we mature, I believe there's a fourth level, the highest level that each and every one of us can get to, but yet not every one of us do. Now, as we kind of unpack these four levels of living, I do need you to know the first two are completely my opinion and based off things I read on the internet. So completely factual, you can trust it all, right? But the last two are, are deeply uh, stooped and inspired by the truth of God's word. So we'll get there. But I think you'll be able to relate to all of them in some way, shape, or form. But the first two are completely my opinion and things that I have learned and picked up along the way in the 42 years that I have been on this planet. So you guys ready to jump into it? Let's do it. What else are you doing? Nothing. All right, the first level, the first level of living that I would say is number one, this level of what do I think I want? What do I think I want? Now, now this is when we're younger, maybe like five or, or six or, or seven years old. And we have these, these, these dreams of, man, one day I want to be a firefighter or one day I want to be a doctor or, or, or I, I want to be a professional athlete, or I want to be an architect. Nobody says, nobody does that. But anyways, I want to work at a, I want to be a zookeeper guy, fella. I do. This, these are the, the things that we dream about when we are our kids. We've probably all been asked that question when we were younger, where someone came, Bobby, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and that question alone just kind of encourages us to, 
to imagine and to dream about maybe what could be one day. And the beautiful, even if that one thing that we want to be an astronaut and I want to go live on the moon, even if what we want is completely ridiculous and unrealistic and the odds of it ever happening are slim to none, we're still encouraged in this level, in this season of life, if you will, to, to dream about what could be. It's a beautiful season to live in, like, because we don't have to make any decisions. Like, we don't have to figure anything. We can just dream. Oh, I just love playing in the summer and playing with rocks and sticks. And I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a doctor someday. And we can just live in this, this world. And, it's, and we don't have to figure anything out. We don't have to make any decisions. It's a beautiful place to be unless we're like 30 and we're still living in our parents' basement. And we're still just going, I don't know. what. I, maybe someday I want to be. And they're like, yeah, bro, we kind of got to figure it out by now. That stage was... 25 years ago, we gotta, gotta move on to the next level. I mean, there's another level that we need to evolve to and progress to, and, and that would be the, the, the level two uh, level of living, if you will. If you take a note, you write this down. Level two is simply this. What am I supposed to want? Level one is what do I think I want, but level two is what am I supposed to want? You see, see back on, on level one when we were young, no, no one is really telling us what we should want. Like, we get to dream. When you're five years old, you get to dream. You get to figure it out. You're seven. You want to be a basketball player even though you're only going to be five foot one? Yes. Yes, you can. Not really, but yeah. I've seen you shoot a basketball. You can't even hit the rim, but it's, yes. Be, an all, be a basketball player, right? You get to dream. No one's telling us what to decide or even what to say, but, but as we get older, maybe we get into to high school and all of a sudden these conversations start to arise about have you thought about where you're going to college? Do you, do you know what you're going to major in? Have you, have you picked a major? Have you, have you considered trade school? Or, or you might want to do an internship before you go into that particular area of expertise. You might want to think about, and all of a sudden, in this, this stage come, come all these concepts of, of character and integrity and following through and being on time and being responsible and all of this puts together this new concept of here's what we're supposed to want. Here's what we should want. We should want to be educated. We should want to be successful. We should want a career. We should want to be a contributing member of society. We should want to pay our taxes. We should at least pay our taxes even if we don't want to, right? This is what we should Want. We can all kind of smile and laugh at, at level one. What do, we, what do I think I want? This, this adolescent, childlike wonder stage. But, but now on level two, we're challenged with this concept of what am I supposed to want? And I think, honestly, I think some people can get stuck here. They can get stuck on, on level two. In fact, I think a lot of young adults make decisions based on this idea of this is what I'm supposed to want. I'm supposed to want to go to college. I'm supposed to want to take, a, take over the, the, the family business. I'm supposed to want to follow in my father's footsteps. I mean, everybody else is a doctor in my family. I guess I'm just supposed to want to be a doctor or everybody else is in ministry. I guess that's just what I'm supposed to do. This, this is what I'm supposed to want. Like if I, if I did this, they'd be proud. If I did that, they'd approve. This is what I'm supposed to want. But then there's another level, which is, Level three, which is, this is when we get to a place in life where we, we start to decide what us 
as an individual human being with an eternal soul actually wants. And so the third level is simply, what do I actually want? Like, what do I really want in life? This, this is a significant level of living. Have you ever met someone who just knew what they wanted in life? Like they just knew what they just, they, someone who finds themselves living at this level, they know what they want. Man, they're attractional, right? They're inspirational. I mean, they, 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 they are focused. They are, are driven. I mean, if you, if you find someone who knows what they want in life, they, they know how, how to say no to the wrong things and yes to the right things. And they don't care what anybody else thinks or, or even says. Like, they are just driven. They are focused. They are, they, I mean, they are respected. They are looked up to. And I would even say they are a rare person kind of a rarity, isn't it? I mean, they're definitely in the minority, not the majority. For, for example, you ever have a friend back in high school or college and everybody else is going to the party. Everybody else is hitting the clubs. But then you got that one friend that goes, you know what? I'm not going in that direction. That's, that's not what I want. I got these goals. I got these dreams. I have this vision. I'm laser focused on this and that's not gonna help me get there. I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna get some sleep because I got some things I wanna do the next day. For the record, I was never that guy. Come on, somebody. Until later in, in life. But what, what do I want? And remember the question that God asked Solomon in the dream. What, what do you want, Solomon? Ask and I will give it to you. And I love how Solomon responds because he knew what to ask for. Solomon knew what he wanted. Solomon was a leader. He was respected. He was looked up to because he knew what he wanted. Let's, let's take a look at his response to the question that, that God presented before him in this dream. First Kings chapter three, verses nine through 10. Solomon responds, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who is who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours. In other words, Solomon is saying that there's no way that I can accomplish and, and succeed unless you help me, God. Which how many of us know it's a great place to be? And God responds in verse 10, says the, the, he says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. Now, if you continue reading the story, we discover that, that God was pleased with, with Solomon because he didn't ask for fame and fortune. And he didn't ask for his enemies to be destroyed. He didn't have a selfish request in response to God's question that he, in fact, asked for wisdom to be able to govern God's people. And God responds by saying, I'm gonna give you what you asked for and I'm gonna give you what you didn't ask for. I'm gonna give you wisdom, but I'm gonna give you fame. I'm gonna give you fortune. I'm gonna give you a big, big kingdom. In fact, the promise that God makes to Solomon is there will never be another king like you. You'll be the wisest. You'll, you'll have a huge kingdom. You'll have fame. You'll have fortune. You'll have power. You'll, you'll conquer territories. There will never be another one like you. And we see this powerful example of someone who, who knew what they wanted in life. 
Let me just say, I mean, if, if you find yourself in that category today, man, that's incredible. Like, if you know what you want, if you, you know where you want to go, if you know who you are, that's rare. You're definitely in the minority of people. But, but in all honesty, it's still not the highest level of living. It's close. How I many of you can accomplish a lot when you, when you know where you're going? You can, you can do a lot of things. You can, you can accomplish a lot of goals, but it's... There's still another level to live at, and we actually discover this in the life of Solomon because he gives us a gift as he wrote a book of the Bible known as Ecclesiastes. Twelve chapters long is all it is, but scholars believe that he would have written this book at the very end of his life. This is a gift because here's this king who asks for wisdom. God makes him the wisest man to ever live. He gives him fame and fortune and power. He conquers nations. He does all these things. And then at the end of his life, he writes this book to assess how did it go? To assess, man, did I, did I accomplish what I wanted to accomplish? Did I, did I gain what I was trying to, to get? And, and how did things, what would I do differently? What would I, what would I continue to do? How I many know it's a gift that he's given to all of us? Well, how'd it go? You ask, remember that dream you had, Solomon? You asked for wisdom. How'd it go? Like, how'd it turn out? Right? How did things go? It looked pretty promising from the get-go, right? At the, at the starting line, man, it looked like you were gonna crush it. But at the end of your life, you tell me. How did it really go? And so that's what he does in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he starts the whole book out by making the statement. He says, I denied myself nothing. Like if I wanted it, I took it. If I desired it, I did it. If it was relationships, I went after them. If it was pleasure, man, I got it. If it was, if it was fame, man, everybody knew my name. If it was power, man, we conquered nations and cities. Man, I built things with my hand. I built this incredible, if I wanted it, I did it. I denied myself nothing. Think about the magnitude of that statement. But yet he comes to this conclusion in the, in the very first chapter, he gives it to us and he goes, yet yeah, it was all meaningless. He says, it was all a chasing after the wind. In other words, I was going after something, but I just couldn't get a hold of it. I just couldn't grab it. I just, I was there. I could feel it, but I just couldn't get quite get my hands on it. And then he comes to the very end of the book, the, the, one of the last things that he says to us, and I just want you to see it today. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. He's already said everything's meaningless, but he, he says, here's my final conclusion. This is it. After it's all said and done, after all the fame, after all the wisdom, after all the conquering of the nation, everything that I've done throughout my entire life, here's my final conclusion. Fear God. Now pause there. I think a lot of us struggle with what, is, what does that mean to fear God? Does that mean like be scared of God? Like he's up in heaven with a, a baseball bat just waiting, waiting to knock me upside the head when I do something wrong. Like what if I just walk around, I'm scared of who he is. But this phrase, fear God, if you ever see it in scripture, it literally means to, to approach God with a reverence. Let me say it like this. It means to stand in awe of God. Like I'm blown away by his greatness. I'm in, in awe of who he is. Can I suggest to us today that you can't stand in awe of something or someone until you get close to them? 
Let me give you another example. A couple weeks ago, me and my wife, Justina, had the, uh, the awesome opportunity to go visit Niagara Falls in New York. We'd never been there before. We got an opportunity to go spend a couple days uh, just seeing the falls. It was an incredible experience. But, but did you know uh, that, that when I really stood in awe of all that water, the tons of water just hauling over that cliff, you know where it was? It, was on, it wasn't from a distance. It wasn't from a long ways away. It was on the Maid of the Mist tour. Come on, somebody. If you go, you got you to gotta do it. Right? You got to get on the Maid of the Mist. And you know what the Maid of the Mist tour does? Puts you on this boat, and they don't drive away from the falls. They get as close as you possibly can get to the cliff where the water, tons of water is dumping out and it's creating all this mist in the air and you get soaking wet. It's awesome. You should do it. But I'm telling you, as you get up close to the falls, you get as close as you can to it, you stand in awe of the magnitude of all that water, all that power, all the, everything that has happened. And you're like, and you realize if I fell over, if I went overboard right now, I'm done. There's, you know what I mean? It, this is crazy what is happening. My point is, the, I stood in awe of Niagara Falls the closer I got to it. I felt the power and the greatness of it. And the same thing, if not even more, is true with God. If we want to stand in awe of God, let me say, the closer you get to God, the more you stand in awe of him. Christians, how many of us know, the more you know about God, the more you realize you don't know. Right? I think the more I read, I read this scripture, I, I know that scripture, I've read it a million times, and then you read it again, you, and you see it from just a, a different light. I've heard it said that the, the word of God is like a diamond that allows light to shine through it. If you just turn that diamond just a little bit, all of a sudden the light shines differently through it, and that's the word of God. Like, I'll read one verse, but then all of a sudden I'm in a different season of life, I have a different perspective, I'm at a different maturity level, and I've read the same verse I read a thousand times, yet I saw something I never saw before. In fact, I want to share that with you today. It's something that I saw on a passage of scripture that I've read a million times, but yet I saw it differently today. We want to stand in awe of God. Remember, we're just on fear God in this one verse, right? It's so rich. Fear God, man. Stand in awe of him. Get close to him. And it goes on to say, fear God and obey his commands. Now, I know, I know Christians. I know we're all like, ah, oh, there it is, the old obedience thing. I just got to do it. Gotta do this, gotta fall in line, gotta do this, gotta do that. All these rules, all these regulations. But that's, that's, that's not what Solomon's saying here. You know what he's saying? I, I, try, I did things my way. I, I chased pleasure, I traced fame and fortune, I conquered. I did everything my way. And you know what Solomon is saying in this passage of scripture? He was right. This whole time, God was right. He's coming to the end of his life. And here's my final conclusion. Man, stand in awe of God. Get as close to him as you possibly can because the closer you get to him, the, the more in awe you'll stand of him. Oh, and by the way, take it from someone who wasted his entire life chasing pleasure, think I'd be happy over here, or building this thing with my hands and realizing it wasn't, and conquering this nation and going over here. And at the end of the day, my final conclusion is this. He was right. His plan was the plan the entire time. He already gave me a playbook. I just needed to run it. This is my final conclusion. It's not about a bunch of rules or doing this or doing that. It's realizing he was right. He wanted my best the entire time. And I thought I knew better. And Solomon goes, nope, I realized I didn't. 
And he goes on to say, for this is the entire duty or purpose of man. This is why we exist. So what do you want? What do you want today? It's an important question I think we need to ask ourselves, especially when we're making decisions in life. It's a question I think we should ask ourselves as we're sitting here in, in church today. What do you want? Why are we here? Why do we show up today? Just because that's what we do on Sunday morning. What do we, what do we want? What do we want in, in life? I, I would suggest to us today that if we want to live at a whole nother level, that we would consider this question of what do we actually want? But yet at the same time, I, I think there's a, another level that we can live at and it's the highest level of living. And I wanna show it to you today because the passage of scripture I've read a million times, but yet I, I read it this time and I saw it from a different angle. I saw it from a different light. It's found in, in the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 14, and give you a little context behind the, what's happening in this portion of scripture. Uh, Jesus has just finished celebrating a Passover, eating Passover with his disciples. He's actually just transitioned Passover over to Holy Communion. Judas has already left the table to go uh, betray Jesus for 40 pieces of silver. And now they finish up the meal. They've left. And the Bible tells us that they left singing praises and hymns to God. And they go to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. I've had the, the privilege of being there myself. It's full of olive trees. In fact, uh, Gethsemane means olive press. And so it's this place of pressure. And we'll pick up the story in verse 32 through 36, Mark 14. And it says, it says, they, they being the disciples, came to an area called Gethsemane. Jesus told his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John with him and he sank into a pit of suffocating darkness and he told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. Stay here and keep vigil with me. In other words, stay awake in a time when you'd rather, you'd really feel like going to sleep. You ever had this happen with your kids? My kids used to do this back when they were really little. I'm gonna stay up all night long. And then you ask them the next day because there's no way I'm staying up with you, like whatever. And uh, how late you stay up? Like four in the morning. I'm like, dude, I went there at 10.30. You are passed out. 10.30 is different than 4 a.m., I'm just saying. But stay awake. Stay awake when you'd rather fall asleep. How I many know that's a good word for the church today? Stay awake. Stay alert. Stay focused. Verse 35 says, going a little ahead, Jesus fell to the ground and he prayed for a way out. Papa, Father, you, you can, can't you? Get me out of this. Take this cup away from me. But, but please, not what I want. What do you want? Never saw it like that before. I never read it like that before. I've read this passage of scripture a million times, but yet this time I saw it differently. But please, not, not what I want. God, what do, you, what do you want? What we're seeing in this passage of scripture is Jesus is struggling with the weight and the, the worry of what he's about to go through. And he, he poses this question back to, to God the Father. Jesus and all of his humanity is expressing what he wants. What does is, what is he want? Not to go through the most excruciating pain and suffering that anybody could possibly go through. What, what does Jesus want in this moment? Not to be flogged. 
Not, not to be beaten, not to have a crown of thorns pressed into his skull. He'd rather not in this moment in his humanity have nails driven into his hands and into his feet. He'd rather not be hung on a cross naked in front of everybody, gasping just to try to breathe. He'd rather not do that. But yet, look at the level that he chooses to live at. Look at the level. But yet not what I want. God, what do you want? It's this fourth level of, of living that I think all of us can get to, but yet maybe all of us might not at the same time. You can write it down. Number four, the fourth and highest level of living is, God, what do you want? You see the progression. What do I think I want? What am I supposed to want? What do I actually want? But the highest, number four, level of living God, what do you want? It's the highest level of, of living. This is the place I want to live at. God, what do you want? What do you want from my life? Isn't this how we experience true fulfillment in our lives? Isn't this how we experience the abundant life that, that Jesus came to give each and, and every one of us? This profound question where we don't just say, God, here's what I want, but yet I'm gonna pause, I'm gonna be quiet, and I have a question for you. God, what do you want what do you want from me? The highest form of living, it's not found in what do I think I want or what am I supposed to want or even what do I actually want. It's found in this question where we flip the script and we say, God, what do you want? I've not considered it. I've not thought about it. I've spent a lot of time in prayer telling you what I want, but what if I would take a moment and just ask that question, what, what do you want? What do you want for my life, God? What, what do you want? This is the highest form of of living when we ask the creator of the universe what he wants from what he created. You made me, so what do you want? When was the last time we just asked God? When was the last time we asked the architect of the ages, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who formed us and knitted us together in our mother's womb? When was the last time we asked him, what do you want from me? Now, what's interesting is I, I think some people might, might think that God's response to that question is for us to join God's team. Like, come on, I want you to be on my team. Like there's this battle going on between God and Satan, good and evil, and God wants us to join his team and fight against the bad guys. Come on, we're gonna be the good guys. We're gonna join God's team. We're gonna be the Christians, right? We're gonna have the names on the back. Jesus, not your name, it's not your team, right? We're gonna fight against the enemy. We're gonna fight against the principalities and the powers of this dark age. Now, don't get me wrong. I know we have an enemy. I know, we, I, I get all that. But, but can I just remind us that the Bible tells us that, that God sits in the heavenlies and he laughs at those who think they can oppose him. Can I just remind us who God is? I won't take the time to read it, but you can find it in Psalms chapter two, verse four. Can we not forget that God is above everything? He's above everyone, that he has no rival. God has no equal now and forever. Like the, the, he reigns alone. There was no one beside him. There was no one like him. And so I think we just need to be careful not to try and make God in our own image, putting God on our own level thinking somehow God is in heaven worried about gas prices that hit an all-time high I'm worried about that but I know God's not freaking out in heaven 
Oh, the economy looks really bad. Bitcoin's dropped. What are we going to do? Right? No, he's above it all. He reigns supreme. I just, I think we have to be careful to, that we don't fall in the trap of thinking that God just, God wants our, our talents and our resources and our abilities to, to use them to, to reveal his glory on the earth. Don't get me wrong. He uses those things, but they're not first. They're not what's most important. When we say, God, what do you want? He's not going, well, I want you to start tithing. That's not first. Can I say that? I want you to start serving in the church. It's a good thing, but it's not first, right? I want you to start using your abilities to share my love with the world around you. Yes, but that's not first. What's above all that is his, his initial response to this question of, of what I want is not all these different things for us to do. God's response to that question is, I want you. I want you. How many know God doesn't need us? He doesn't need us. Darn, that, the message took a little turn there. Then it was so uplifting for the longest time. And then, but it's, God doesn't need us. The beautiful thing is he wants us. He chose us. His response is, I, 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 if I didn't want you, I would have made you. If, if I didn't want you, I wouldn't have created you. I want you, every part of you. I want the secret parts of you that nobody else knows about. I want the good parts, the bad parts, and the ugly parts. I want all of you. So here's my challenge for us today. As we talk about these four levels of living and God, what do you want? Here's my challenge. You ready? This is the climax of the message, guys. I mean, this is it. This is it. We're peaking. Let God love you. Real simple, maybe basic. But how many know it's way easier said than done? Because I, I know me. I know me. If you're anything like me, I had this, this, this tendency to drift to trying to earn God's love, to prove my worthiness, and to, to try and live at a, at a level where I'm acceptable and God approves of me. Anybody else? I just fall into that trap of performance and the better I perform, of course God loves me because I'm a good Christian and, I, and I've given my life to him and I'm doing really good. But when I make a mistake or I sin, then I feel really bad because I'm not, I'm not earning your love. And God goes, no, no, no. It's never about let me love you. What does that mean? Every part of you. Let me put it like this. I used to think the most powerful approach, like the, 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 the most powerful, number one, the top approach to God was in worship. Just lifting my hands and pouring my heart out to God. Now, now hear me, we should worship. We need to worship. I mean, God's called us to, to, to praise him with our lips. God's called us to worship him by how we live our lives. I, I'm, 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 I'm a huge proponent of worship. But I used to think the most powerful, the number one approach I could take is in worship. And I remember having these moments in worship where I was like, hallelujah, yes, Lord. And I would yell. You ever, you ever been around that yeller? Woo, Jesus. I, I mean, my, my first year that I got saved, like if I was in worship with you, I, like you were like, dude, who is this guy? But you don't understand what he saved me from. You don't understand what he delivered me from. I was in a jail cell. I was strung out. I was addicted. And so I, I had to be like, hallelujah, right? I didn't, know, I didn't know any other way to express it other than just to yell and get anthematic and be passionate. And I think that's great. And I think you should. And if you want to yell, yell in this place. You want to dance, dance. Don't, just don't dance weird, right? Dance kind of a little cool. That's kind of what we're going for. God likes it when you have a cool dance. If you don't know how to dance, don't do it, right? Don't do that. 
I was thinking today during worship, like they're all jumping around up here and I'm looking at y'all and myself. I'm like, we ain't ready for this. Like they're on another level today. Let's just pull back down guys. So I'm like, just chill out a little bit. Move out of my way mountain. But, but I used to think I had these moments and, and they were powerful. And I, if you've never encountered God's presence in worship like that, man, pour out your heart to him. You should, we should. I'm gonna continue, but I, I used to think that was the most powerful way to encounter God. But then I thought, I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is the most powerful posture before heaven. So I bow my knee in prayer. It's pour my heart out to God. You ever done that? God, I need you. God, move. God, I'm desperate for you. You ever had those moments where maybe you're, you're just kind of weeping and those, I mean, like you're ugly crying. You're not know, like snots coming out. You're, you're fading. You're just going after God in prayer and you get up and you look weird and hope no one sees you, right? That's not a picture you, you put on social media, right? That's not the one. It's of the Bible and the coffee. This is a different kind of level, right? No one needs to know about this. But, but I used to think that was the most, and, and you should, man. If you've never prayed like that, where you just poured your guts out to God and just said, here I am, man, it's, it's powerful. We should do that. But I used to think that was the most powerful way to approach God. But then I've, I've realized there's, a, there's, one, there's, there's another powerful way to approach him. And it's this posture. It, it just, maybe you'll get it. It just kind of looks like this. to give God I have nothing to bring I don't, I don't have it all figured out I make a lot of mistakes and I just I come before God in total transparency with a self-awareness of how much I need him it's this self-awareness that apart from him, I can do nothing. Like I've just come to this place and as, as good as I look on Sunday morning, as, as nice as I smell and as good as I try to, to look to others and as strong and like I have everything figured out, the reality is before him, who I really am, I, I got nothing, God. It's in that place it's in that place where I can finally let God love me, like the real me. No one else is around, it's just me, and I realize I have nothing to bring to the table. I have nothing to offer you. Isn't that why Paul said it's like filthy rags, what I have to offer? Paul had this revelation that who he really was was, was not good enough, it was never gonna measure up, he had flaws, he had issues, and yet God still loved him in spite of those things. See, that's, I think that's the highest level of, of letting God love us because it's out of that place then I can move on to the greatest commandment because I know all of you theologians in the room were thinking it. Well, hold up, Pastor. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. I heard that one as well. I know that one, Pastor. You messed up. And I'm saying I agree with that, but I don't think I can get there until I first let God love me and all of me, that the real me, the me you guys don't know about. 
the, the me, as I, as I try to be as authentic and real every Sunday as I possibly can, what you see is what you get. The reality is all of us have that, who we really are. Are you with me today? And it's when I take that guy, when I take that person and I bring that person and all my flaws and all my mistakes and all my shortcomings and I bring that person before the creator of the universe, the architect of the ages, the one who spoke heaven and earth into existence. And I come before him and all those, all my shame and all my guilt. And I say, here I am. And I let God love that person. Now we're cooking with gas. Now now, you know what I'm discovering? Who God really is. Now I'm at a level of vulnerability. And all of a sudden, God begins to do a work on the inside of my heart. And out of that place, I begin to figure out who I am and what he's called me to do. And then I can use my abilities. Then I can use my talents. Then I can use my resources because that's not first. It's coming out of the overflow of this love that God has for me. Hopefully God spoke to you today. I just wanted to share my heart with you, but I've been on this journey. In fact, I had a moment with God last night. I always come every Saturday. I spend six to nine. I'm in my office. I'm praying, just kind of just getting my heart prepared for today. And man, last night, I just had this incredible moment with the Lord where I just, here I am. Here's me. Here's the real me. And just remember all the things he saved me from. And yet how he just kept on believing in me, standing beside me. And I just had this moment where I had no words for God. I just kind of wept in my office and it was beautiful. That's what I want you to experience, that level of intimacy with God. Because out of that place, freedom, healing, strength, victory, life, fulfillment, purpose. That is God's heart for all of us. Amen. Would you pray with me today? Father, we love you, God. Thank you for the way you love us. No one loves us the way you do, God. Thank you. Because it's when we experience that kind of love, the, the scripture that your love never fails become a, becomes a reality to us. God, I pray right now for each and every one of us, wherever we're at, at what level, at what stage, what season that we're in, God, give us a greater revelation of who we are and who you are. God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us get to that place where we're vulnerable before heaven. We bring our true selves before you and you help us to have this ability just to let you love us. We don't have to prove it. We don't have to earn it. We don't gotta perform for it just receive it. And we would let you love us. As we're praying together today with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say, man, I don't know God like that. Like I want to know him. Well, it starts with this relationship. It's actually this prayer. What do you want? I want to know you, God. I want to know you. Like I want to know your love. I want to know your presence. I want to encounter who you, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. If you need to, to make that decision today, I want to give you that opportunity. It was the best decision of my entire life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand to heaven and say, here I am, God. That's my heart. I want to know you. Like I want to know you for real. I just know about you. I see your hands in this place. Would you just, just pray this in your heart to God? 
Say, God, thank you. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sins so that I could know you. God, that's my heart. What do I want? I want to know you. Your presence, your truth, your love, your purpose, your plan for my life. I want to know you, God. So today, here's my heart. Here's all of me, the good parts, the bad parts, the secret parts, the ugly parts. Here I am. I want to know you, God. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. God, show me how to live. Lead me and guide me into all truth. My life is yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Come on. Can we give God some praise for those who crossed over from death to life today? So good. Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not. That's what happens when you wait. What happens when you wait? They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. What happens when you wait? Oh, they that wait, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. What happens when you wait? Oh, they that wait, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk, not get weary. They shall run and not faint. That's what happens when you wait. 
Thanks for joining us. We here at Experience Church love you and are praying for you. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our hope.